You're listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Unlimited, with a new weekly topic to give you a clear vision of God and to start living an unlimited life. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Life is the continuous opportunity to turn your trash into treasure. That's what your life is. Your life is a series of opportunities to turn your trash, your garbage, your junk, your poop into God's treasure. That's what it is. That's what your life is. Most of us don't understand that we have a lot more of a say in that whole transformative process than we give ourselves credit for. There's this thing called the bystander effect, that the more people are in an environment, Pastor Brandon talked about this not too long ago, the more people are in an environment and you find yourself in that environment, you just think, well, somebody else will take care of that. So the bystander effect is you kind of take a step back and you just let somebody else take care of it because you see somebody else doing it. What ends up happening is everybody thought somebody was doing something, so nobody did anything. And I started thinking about that after I heard about the bystander effect, and I thought, you know, I think there's a spiritual, the ultimate bystander effect is this. I get saved, Jesus Christ comes into my life, he forgives me of all of my sins, we understand salvation by faith alone, by grace, it's undeserved favor, that's what it is, right? Who doesn't want to get out of jail free? Everybody wants to get out of jail free. Of course, I'll take that, I don't have to do anything. I mean, I don't have to do anything, Jesus will save me, he'll forgive me of all of my sins, of course. You'd have to be stupid not to take that offer. That's a great offer. You don't have to do anything. God did everything. But then what happens is what creeps into that is our work ethic. That creeps into our work ethic, and we start to think, there's nothing I have to do. I don't have to do anything. God's going to do everything. And so we have a spiritual bystander effect where we end up sitting back and throwing stuff onto God's plate, back onto God's lap that he gave to us. It is not just God's responsibility to transform your life. It's your responsibility and God's responsibility to work together. We're supposed to work together. We're supposed to cooperate with God, not be a bystander in that process. God will do what he's going to do. People say, don't worry, God's got it. I'm not concerned about God. He always comes true. He's never lost. Even when he's the overwhelming underdog, he has never lost. He never will lose. The issue is not that God doesn't show up. The issue is often that I don't show up. I'm AWOL. I'm absent without leave. Your life that has been taking place right now, it's been going on for years. Your life is the continual opportunity to turn trash into God's treasure. That's what it is. But you have more of a say in that than you give yourself credit for. The Bible is filled with example after example, command after command, not just suggestions, but commands. You need to do this. You need to respond to what God is saying. You need to make it your effort. You need to make it your ambition. You need to define what treasure is for yourself. What are you working for in your life? What are you working for? What are you working for? Now listen, as much as I appreciate Financial advisors who tell you to save in your 401k, save for your retirement. You watch too many of these things, the conservative approach. Listen, please understand what I'm saying. Your whole life comes about saving for when you're 65. Are you kidding me? Is that what it's about? I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to just live so frugally now throughout the whole course of my life 
that everything gets focused on just have enough money to survive when you're 65. What about in the meantime? What about the decades in the meantime? Am I not supposed to thrive? God is a generous God. He's a generous God. When you're like God, who is generous, when you're really following Jesus, who is the generous Jesus, the biblical Jesus, you're going to be generous too. Man, that's a poor existence to be sitting around waiting till I'm 65 so I can collect on my retirement money. In the meantime, I haven't lived. I haven't been sold out for Jesus. I haven't given as much as I could give to Jesus. I'm not talking about just your money. You think I'm talking about just money right now? Do you think that I would belittle who you are and more importantly, belittle God by bringing this whole conversation down to greenbacks, to Benjamins? Do you think that's what this is about? It is about your life. It's about my life. It's about our life collectively. And we do play church. We do play church. We play church without even realizing we play church. Jesus understood that we would play church, and that's why he says in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, John 3, 16, Revelation 3, 16, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, you're lukewarm. Jim Cimbala. We're a lot like the church of Laodicea. In fact, we've so institutionalized Laodiceanism that we think lukewarm is normal. That's the problem. That's the problem. Where's your treasure? What's your treasure? What are you aiming for in the course of your life? Have you been clearly aiming for what you should be aiming for in the course of your life? Because if you don't know what you're shooting for, you're going to shoot no matter what. You're going to have problems in life whether you follow God or whether you don't follow God. You might as well have the kind of problems that come when you follow God. You might as well. You might as well. Life is not about escaping pain and hardship and difficulty. We're built into that, and that's why we, that's why we don't take risks for Jesus. Do you understand? That's why we don't take risks for Jesus. Because this flesh of ours gravitates toward comfort, convenience, safety, we don't take risks. Have you defined what treasure is for you? And does your definition stand up to? How does it measure up to the biblical definition of treasure? Because your life is a continuous series of opportunities to exchange your trash for God's treasure. And you have a direct say and how effective you are in doing that. Have you been effective? Will you be effective in doing that from this point forward? See, if you don't change as a result of hearing what God is saying to you, that's a huge problem. Because if you say you are a Christ follower, you have to be following where Christ is going. You can say you're a Christ follower all you want. We changed the terminology in our country a while back because the word Christian was too colloquial, too commonplace, too understood, and yet misunderstood. So we needed a new way to, to cast, to brand Christianity. So we'll call it Christ follower. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to follow Christ. But if you're going to follow Christ, you can't be the same person you were last week. You say, you said that before, Pastor. I'll say it again because repetition is the mother of all learning. Jesus repeated himself numerous times. How do you think they remembered all this stuff? It wasn't only the enablement of the Holy Spirit. But it was also God using their recollective 
ability to remember. Jesus said that, yeah, the parables, the stories. CQI, continuous quality improvement. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've got to be committed to your own transformation. God is. God is committed to your transformation. He is. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Bible. He's given you other people to fellowship with. He's given you a conscience, a renewed mind, a mind that is being renewed. He's given you all these things. Why? Because he's committed to your transformation. But you have to be committed to your transformation. You have to work more on yourself than you do at the job. You have to be committed to your own transformation. There are some things that God will not do because you have to do them, and 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 you have to do them. There are things that God tells you to do. And if you have the spiritual, big, bystander approach, you take a step back and say, well, I'm just waiting for God. You know what I found out in my life? Let me be brutally honest with you. I'll be brutally honest with you and gently brutally honest with you. I thought I was waiting for God. God, why won't you? Why don't you? God, why don't you? You know what I find out? Hey, Mike, I'm waiting for you. Oh, excuse me? Do you know anybody who's waiting on God for so long? that they're stuck in dry dock. If you're not wrestling in your life with the flesh, you've given up. If you are not having serious conversations in your family, Mike, come on now, Mike. You're not having serious conversations in your family. What should we do in this decision, honey? What should we do in that decision? How do we exchange the trash for the treasure? Because you know the enemy of the best is often the good. The enemy of the best is often the good, and the good is the trash. What you think is good, what you are coddling and cuddling and caressing and holding, that thing, those things, that approach to life, I'm not talking about just a material thing, that approach to life, that attitude, that way that you respond in a situation, If that's not the best, if that's not what will glorify God to the greatest possible degree, it is trash, it's rubbish, it's poop by comparison. It's what it is. You have to be committed. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and be the same person that you were last week. Last week, that's measurable. Wait a second, that's measurable. Some of you need to quit your jobs because you're only there for money. What? Does this guy actually think that I have to make changes in my life? No, I don't. Because if you think it's about hearing what I'm saying, you're missing the whole point. This modern day donkey is trying, even though I'm failing miserably, I am failing right now. You're watching a man fail right now. I am trying to help you understand that it is not me that's saying it. It's God. God is saying to you, and he's saying to me, and he's saying to we. He's saying to all of us. I'm not happy with the church today. I love the church. I love the church. But the same Jesus said, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. You need to be hot. You need to be cold. And you've exchanged hot or cold. Be committed. Standing for something. What do you stand for? 
You've exchanged that for being comfortable, for being complacent, and for being, are you ready for this? The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. Indifference. How can we have the Democratic presidential candidates? Are you getting political? No, I'm getting biblical. Every senator who was up for the nomination of the Democrat nomination for the presidency voted against a bill that was presented that would have required medical attention for any child surviving a late-term abortion. Where's the heart of the person who has reached that conclusion? Can you vote for somebody like that? I don't know. Can you? Are you endorsing the Republican? Listen, I'll give you credit. I don't like things that the president says. They've embarrassed me. Drives me nuts when I see a group of Christians identifying with the president, Christian leaders, and then the president within seven days' time, sometime sooner, will say some of the most stupid things you could possibly imagine. I don't like that either. The question is, what are you going to do about it? We've all got our heads so thoroughly immersed in our buckets. Are you hot for Jesus? Are you cold toward Jesus? Where are you? Three options. Hot, cold, lukewarm. Indifferent, complacent, distracted, preoccupied, divided interests, disorganized, undisciplined, living in trash, thinking that your trash is treasure. Is there any place that we can go to find out what the definition of treasure is? Is there any place that we could go to find out how am I able to distinguish between what's trash and what's treasure? You know, Mike, you said the enemy of the best is the good. So what is the best? Is there any place that we could go? Could you give us some kind of a plumb line? Could you give us some kind of a standard? Could you help me uh, process this in such a way where I know that I know that I know where God stands on this issue, where I know what treasure is, I know what trash is, and I know how to give up the trash so that I can embrace the treasure. Is there any place I could go? Of course there is. You know where I'm going with this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this. The Apostle Paul, see, you're all supposed to be a small Paul. You're supposed to be a small Paul. You're supposed to be like Paul in his thinking. You're supposed to be like Paul in his behavior. You're supposed to be like Paul in regard to his witness, and you're supposed to be like Paul in regard to his effectiveness, his impact. You're supposed to be a small Paul. That's what you should be. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's pretty audacious for Paul to actually say, listen, follow me. I'm an example of a Christ follower. Here I am under house arrest, trying to be faithful to Jesus, even though things didn't turn out the way I thought they would turn out. I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus, trying to honor Jesus, even though things were different than I thought they would be. God's calling on my life hasn't changed. His love for me and his affection for me has not changed. None of that has changed. What's changed is my anticipation, my understanding, my expectation, what I expected God would do, how I expected God would cause all these things to work together for his good. It's very different than what I thought. 
how I would fulfill God's calling on my life to be a witness for Jesus, to tell people about Jesus, to make disciples is turning out very differently than I thought it would. You know anybody who can identify with that? Have you started off uh, in a certain way thinking that this is the way God's going to fulfill it, this is the way God's going to work, and is it different now than you thought it was going to be, or is it just me and a couple people down here in front? Who else? Come on. Have you, have you been throwing a curveball or two in life? Have you been throwing a curveball where you thought it was going to be this way? You got ahead of God, put words in God's mouth. God didn't tell you that he was going to do it that way. He just told you he was going to do it. He just told you he was going to do it. And then how God does it, that's up to God. Don't base your dependence and your servitude to God, your surrender to God, your commitment to God, your faithfulness to God on whether or not you agree with how he's doing things. It's not based on how he's doing things. It's got to be based on him doing the things. It's got to be based on him doing the things. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, take my example. Uh, Paul's going to be in prison multiple times throughout his life, going to be beaten multiple times throughout his life, going to be shipwrecked. All kinds of stuff that he has suffered for the sake of Jesus Christ. And if you're a small Paul, if you're imitating the Apostle Paul, who is a great example of what it means to follow Jesus, then your life has to be characterized in some similar things. Some similar things. But it won't be if you're embracing the trash. It won't be. If you mistake your trash for treasure, you'd be like a pig wallowing in the mud. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, you can find it for yourself, book of Proverbs, a dog returns to its vomit. Haven't you noticed in your own life that you want to go back to what? You want to go back to walking by sight, not by faith. You do. You do. How do I know that? Because I know myself. I know myself. You want to go back to walking by sight, not by faith. You left that way. You left that way of life. Now the just will live by faith. Your whole life's supposed to be by faith. Faith in Jesus and faith for Jesus. It's faith in Jesus and it's faith for Jesus. So you can sit there and you can sulk and you can wallow and oh, look what happened. Look, I can't believe this happened. Oh, my job is so difficult or my situation is so difficult. Yes, it is difficult. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Well, but that's not going to do me any good if my delight, my satisfaction, my joy, my fulfillment is not in Jesus. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. If your satisfaction and your fulfillment and your treasure is not found in Jesus, you're going to be thrown off by your circumstances. Paul wasn't thrown off by his circumstances. He was able to rise above his circumstances because he knew that his God was bigger than his circumstances. How much bigger? (laughs) Your vision is too small. Most of us in the church, we think too small. God did some stuff. That's pretty good. Happy with that. Let's settle into that. It's too small. You need to think bigger. You need to think bigger. How much bigger? A lot bigger than you think is big. The just will live by faith. You can pray impossible prayers all you want, but if you're not living an impossible life, who gives a rip? When you look at the people in the scripture who were really following Jesus, they were living an impossible life. This is not possible except God making it happen. Let's back it up here to verse 7. Apostle Paul has just finished Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He's just finished talking about some of his accolades, some of his accomplishments in life. A Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, following the law flawlessly, a righteous person, as righteous as you could be, humanly speaking, in regard to following the law. If anybody could have been declared righteous 
acceptable to God based on what they did with the Old Testament law, Paul the apostle was the guy. He was the candidate. We fulfilled it. But look at what he says in verse 7. Right on the heels of that, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He gives the reason. Because of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, junk, garbage, poop, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. goes on even further. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. God can take what is dead and bring it to life for his glory. And that's what Paul is saying here. All these things that were wonderful for me, all these things that could be credited to me, all these things that my peers and people in the future will look back at and say, look at those credentials. I put them all aside for one thing, and it's not a thing. It's a person, Jesus. I put it all aside because none of that stuff did me anything in regard to becoming righteous, in regard to having a friendship with God. Having a friendship with God, that's priceless. I didn't have a friendship with God. You didn't have a friendship with God. You wouldn't have a friendship with God if it wasn't for God becoming flesh and living among us. If it wasn't for God who was without sin, taking on your sin so that you could become, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? The righteousness of God. Here's the dude, humanly speaking, the pinnacle of his spiritual game. I'll exchange it all. I'll give it up, all of it, every last drop of it, that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means, by any means possible. That sounds like a guy who's lukewarm, doesn't it? Does that sound like a guy who's lukewarm? That by any means possible, any means. And you know the original language here in the Greek language, amazing what the Greek language says here. Three-letter word translated into the English, any. By any means possible. In the Greek, you know what it says? Any. That's what it means. It means exactly the same thing. So for those of you who think you're missing out because you don't know how you don't know Greek, you don't know Hebrew, listen, the Greek is accurately reflected in the English. By any means possible. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is looking for his life now to be found not in his accomplishments. He's looking for his life now to be found not in his credentials. His only credential now is a person, Jesus Christ. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but look what he says here. As a small Paul, take this to heart. Have you reached perfection yet? 
Have you reached the pinnacle of your spiritual game? Have you arrived at a platitude in your spiritual walk, at a place in your spiritual walk where there's nothing else for you to learn about, no place else that you can develop in your life? There's no other areas that you can grow in? Of course not, you haven't. Well, take heart, Paul understood that. And to be like him, you wanna have that same attitude. Look what he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Wow. There's his motivation. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Can you say one thing for your own life? Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. That sounds like a guy who's deliberate. He's intentional. He's purposeful. He's putting things aside. His life has a real good thing in it that makes sure that what comes out of it is pure and undefiled and purposeful and intentional. What's that thing that he has in his life? You know, in my car, I've got a Honda. I've got a Honda Pilot. It's a 2004 Honda Pilot. Rides pretty good. Got it from an owner who put only synthetic oil in it. Those of you who are automobile enthusiasts, you love that idea. Synthetic oil, all the oil changes, all the maintenance records, all that stuff. Got it with some great mileage on it. And that thing is so smart. Not as smart as some of the other cars that are out now. That thing is so smart. It's a typical thing. You know what I'm talking about. On the dashboard, it's got this annoying blinking thing that tells me, Mike, doesn't use my name, but future cars will be doing that. You have a problem because your oil needs to be changed. You have exceeded the number of miles that you should be driving with that oil filter and the oil that you put into that car. It is a filter. What does the oil filter do? It takes away the impurities so that what you're driving on, the things that, the, the oil that is circulating through your car doesn't have particulates in it. It doesn't have pollutants in it. So that what? So that your engine can last longer. Why is that a good thing? Because if your engine lasts longer, there's a higher propensity that your car is going to last longer. Why is that important? Because if your car lasts longer, you're not, you're not going to have to spend as much money on doing what? On getting a new car. Well, why is that important? Because if you don't have to get a new car because the car that you have, you've taken care of and you've gotten longer life out of it, then you'll have more money to put aside. Well, why is that important? Because then you can put it toward your retirement. You know, that's the way most of us are living. <laughs> You're living for your retirement. We're living for our retirement. Is this guy upset? I'm passionate. I'm trying to help you. What I'm trying to do is trying to help you as an imperfect person with stuff that God's trying to work out in my own life. I'm trying to help you hear the heartbeat of God. I'm trying to help you hear the heartbeat of God to such a degree that you're willing to make changes in your life. Paul said, I press on. I'm not going to let my shortcomings get in the way. I'm not going to let my failures get in the way. I'm not going to let my sin get in the way. I'm not going to fantasize and fixate on the fact that I can't serve God until I'm perfect. You know anybody who's a recovering perfectionist? I bet Paul struggled with that. Being the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, you read his, he has so much hyperbole in so much of his writing, and, and he's got such significant credentials. I bet he struggled with perfectionism. But Paul had learned if he was going to have a ministry that honored Jesus Christ, his focus needed to be on the perfect one, the one he was serving, not on whether or not Paul himself was perfect and flawless.
I press on, verse 14, toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You should be filtering everything in your life. Everything. You should have a spiritual filter, a focus filter. Is this going to result in treasure or have I mistaken trash for treasure? Paul gave up all this other stuff willingly. Didn't have to. I mean, God can put you in a situation where he can make it really uncomfortable to say no. But at the end of the day, you have a say. And whether or not you're caressing trash or treasure. And Paul was so committed. These are not the words of somebody who's lukewarm. These are not the words of somebody who's lacking commitment, lacking passion, lacking determination, lacking focus, lacking purpose. This is somebody who's on fire for God. I press on. I press on to take hold of it for the things for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Have you stopped to think about that lately? That Christ Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, took hold of you, took hold of you so that he could transform your life, and as we'll see, even more than your life. This is how complete and thorough God's work is. You're going to see this in a moment. Your mind is going to be blown. Circuit's going to be blown. You're going to be just unbelievably struck by how God finishes what he starts. He means what he says. He delivers what he promises. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You know, that's the objective of the Holy Spirit, to make you mature in Jesus. How do you know if you're mature? By whether or not you're embracing your trash or pressing on toward God's treasure. That's how. Whether or not you get your satisfaction in the things that the flesh produces or your satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ and what he produces. That's how. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained, meaning don't slip back. Don't give up the ground that God has already given you. Don't go back to the way you used to be. Don't be a dog who returns to its vomit. Live up to what you have already attained in Christ, because of Christ, and because of your determination. Don't Give up what you have already attained. Don't compromise on truth. Don't compromise on purity. Don't compromise on your own sanctification. But the idea is you're supposed to be committed to an ongoing process of sanctification, continuous quality improvement. What do you mean by quality? The focus of your life should be more and more on will this be treasure for Jesus? Or will this just be more dressed up Lipstick on a pig? Is this just trash that I'm trying to make it into treasure? Give it up. Give it up. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Don't compare this church to other churches. It's about being on your own journey. It's about us being on our journey to improve so that we're giving honor to the Lord Jesus Christ where it's due. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, some are better models to follow than others. For many of whom I have often told you now, 
for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. So in other words, Paul, as he's writing this, was getting emotional. That's how passionate he was. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is what I was referring to earlier. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the way you exchange trash for treasure. This is the way you become more the person that Jesus died on the cross to sanctify. This is how you become the person that God predestined you to become. Stand fast in this way. Many people are enemies of the cross. There are a lot of people who are lukewarm if they're not enemies of the cross. They're okay with the cross, but they're not okay with sanctification. You know, what is the church? You see what he said there? You see what he said there? Be like his glorious body. God's going to actually transform your lowly body, my lowly body, into a glorious body, and I will have some kind of a body that is like the resurrection body. That's how thoroughly committed God is to your absolute, complete spiritual makeover. And it makes its way even into your physical appearance. You know, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples. They were able to recognize him. Once their minds were open, they were able to recognize Jesus. They were able to put their hands in the marks in his, in his hands, his, their fingers there, and in his side. So it was clearly Jesus in a resurrected body. He makes multiple appearances over weeks of time. And the Bible here is consistent. This is not allegory. It's not figurative. It's not symbolism. You will have a glorified body similar to the glorified body of Jesus. And this is where we say, wow, I wonder what that's like. I wonder, that's amazing. In the meantime, see, God's going to do that. In the meantime, you need to be committed to your transformation by putting aside the trash and embracing the treasure considering all things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, your Savior. That means you are probably, you probably are, come on now, you probably are not using your time as effectively as you could. You probably are not using the finances that God gives you as effectively as you could. And guess what? Wait a second here. We probably are not as effective as a church and glorifying God to the greatest degree possible. We probably aren't. We probably aren't. That's why continuous quality improvement is so important. We can do better. That sounds like works. No, that sounds like the Bible. This is the Bible that we're not reading anymore. Listen, it's salvation by grace as a matter of faith, but you get saved to get on fire for God. That's what it's about. There is work to do. There's work to do. There's work to do. Yes, there's work in the garden when you read in Genesis. There's work throughout the Bible. You see people partnering with God and working. You've got to work out your own salvation, the Bible says, with fear and trembling. And I'll just throw this at you. We don't see Jesus. This is the part of the message, right, where... Most of it will be left, okay, I need to read my Bible more, I need to pray more, I need to focus on purity, I need to focus on uh, you know, avoiding these things, not doing those things, and that's, that's kind of like as far as we go, because that's the traditional evangelical, especially in conservative evangelical circles, that's about as far as we would go. 
That's about as far as we would go. Okay, so I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray. I need, need to maybe give more, you know, tithe more. I need to maybe, uh, you know, sign up to be a part of Sunday school or maybe I need to find out what my spiritual gift is and serve in some capacity in church. I'm not saying all those things are bad. I'm just saying that those are not far enough. They're not far enough. Haven't you noticed, you know, it's not, what was Jesus' role? What was Paul's role? Jesus is the original activist. You need to start seeing Jesus as an activist. yes. Yes, he preached salvation for the purpose of transformation, transforming you, transforming me, and transforming society. So if your salvation is not leading to your own transformation, will you become unrecognizable? Are you paying attention? If your salvation is not leading to your own transformation, and if our salvation collectively is not leading to our transformation, you're not paying attention to what you're supposed to be like as a mature follower of Jesus. Every student, when he or she is fully taught, will be just like his teacher. Jesus was the original activist. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6. I want to show you, because we need to connect the dots here. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus teaching them about prayer. Teaching them about prayer. Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What? So your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So is that just supposed to be a prayer that we're praying? Lord, please accomplish your will at the school that I'm, that I'm a student at. Lord, please accomplish your will at the workplace. Lord, please accomplish your will at a government level. Lord, please accomplish your will in the church. Is that really what it's all about? So just throw it back on the Lord. Lord, please, Lord, since you got the ability, you know, the bystander effect, since you got the ability to change all things, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna be committed. You need to not only pray. Listen, don't use prayer as an excuse for doing what you need to do. Ouch. Don't use prayer as an excuse for doing what you need to do in the answer to prayer that God gives by you rolling up your sleeves and saying, if it's going to be, it's up to God and me. If it's going to be, it's up to God and me. See, one of the things that's happened in the church, the Johnson Amendment. In the 60s, President Johnson introduced this thing called the Johnson Amendment where a church, which was a, is a 501c3, a nonprofit organization, cannot speak about legislation, cannot try to influence legislation, cannot speak about politicians or politics, cannot do any of that stuff because it would be, in the government's eyes, conflict of interest. See, the real concern is that if the church, because there's so many Christians and so many churches around the country, if they got serious about being salt and light, if they got serious about your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we'd probably act a lot differently than we do. So what we'll do is we'll dangle this carrot in front of them and threaten to take away their nonprofit status because if you lose your nonprofit status, then you all don't get your tax deductions, your tax-deductible receipts, which, you know, don't really add up to much these days anyway. Did you notice that? Your tax deductions are not really that big. They're not going to change your taxes in a tremendous way. But here's the real issue. Do you find any place in the Bible where the apostles are getting together, you know, when they're selling their goods and possessions and putting them at the apostles' feet? Hey, how's this going to impact the IRS decision? Hey, how's this going to impact uh, the deductions that the people giving them are, are getting? I'm not so sure that we give for the wrong reasons today in the church. When a pastor writes a book and pours out his heart and gives it to the church and doesn't take any money from it, when we start to think about, well, maybe we shouldn't offer that for sale, which could be in any church. Our church happens to be in that situation. 
Maybe we shouldn't do that. Why wouldn't you do, why wouldn't you do that? Because you're afraid of losing nonprofit status. You know what you're really losing? The influence of what was ever was created will have on the lives of people for which it was created. We need to think about that really thoroughly. Because the reason why, the other reason why we don't think about, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about legislation, we don't talk about those things, because we're afraid of losing nonprofit status. So, so what do we end up doing at the end of the day? What do we end up doing at the end of the day? Matthew chapter 6. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus. You can't. So isn't it ironic that in the church, what we're really doing is we really are making decisions based on money. Can a senior pastor say that? If a church is making decisions based on money, they got the wrong filter. A church should be making decisions based on, is this treasure or is it trash? That's what a church should be making decisions on. Is it treasure or is it trash? Why would you want to limit? Why would a church want to limit any area of life that the Bible speaks to? Why would you want to water it down? Because, you know, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what. Is this the great reveal today? Is this, is this like, what are you? Because we, we think lukewarm is normal. Jesus said you can't serve God and money at the same time. You're going to love one or hate the other. Church, which one do we love? We talk about being a church of local, regional, national, international impact, all we want to. We could paint it on the outside of the building, put it on the bottom of every chair so that when you, I'm up here, I can see it when the chair's up. When you go to in, in the back of all the chairs, we can see it. A church of local, regional, national, international impact. We'll never be a church of local, regional, national, international impact if we care about the government telling us what to do. That's God in the box. That is God in a box. And the reason why we got into this box in the first place as a nation is because we allowed ourselves to think that somebody other than God had the right to tell us how to follow God. And that's the problem with the church. When I say church, I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. We want comfort and we want convenience and we want safety, and we want security. And all of that stuff are things that God gives in proportion to our faithfulness. When we seek those things apart from faithfulness to God, we have exchanged treasure for trash. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. If it's true, it's true. Trust God and leave the consequences with him. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.